Hey guys, before we start, just a quick reminder, Powerhouse Politics is now on Spotify. Head over there, follow along, and tell your friends. Okay, let's get to the show. Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Rick, this is an emergency edition of Powerhouse Politics. A lot of news. We originally called this emergency edition in response to the Tuesday special election in Georgia, not to mention South Carolina, the results coming in. But we also had even bigger news uh, today with the tapes, or the, uh, I guess, not tapes, uh, Finally heard from the president uh, through Twitter, uh, whether or not he has those secret recordings of his conversations uh, with James Comey. And it's health care day. We learned what the Republican health care bill is, its fate, all of that. And the president in Iowa again, there's just there's just a lot to get to. And we're also going to be speaking uh, to a member of the House Democratic Caucus who is helping to lead a revolt against Nancy Pelosi. Uh, This is a small group right now. But they want to see new leadership. Yeah, and your headline is that both parties are in utter disarray as there of today. In the, in the wake of Georgia, Donald Trump, uh, of course, riding high, feeling good politically. Uh, but he has this health care bill put forward by the Senate that uh, immediately runs into a wall of conservative opposition. The fact is they do not have the votes as of now. That is clear. They can only lose two. Already four conservatives have come out and said, I don't know the math that, that well, as you know, John, yeah. but that, that tells you that, uh, that they don't have what they need. Uh, and then the tapes and this, and this bizarre back and forth totally created by the White House. Uh, and, to, and to land today and find out that uh, the president says that he doesn't know of any tapes and doesn't have any tapes in his possession, that isn't necessarily saying. He's even hinting that there could be tapes out there, but but who knows? Yeah, we've got more, more on that. Uh, but but let's start with, with Tuesday. I mean, the, the, this, this, uh, this special election in Georgia caught a lot of people by surprise. Uh, Democrats and Democratic interest group poured in upwards of $30 million. A lot of people thought that John Ossoff, the 30-year-old Democratic candidate down there, was going to win. As a matter of fact, you and I spoke about this right here on Powerhouse Politics on Tuesday. My gut says Ossoff pulls it off. Can we hear that again? My gut says Ossoff pulls it off. That was Rick on Tuesday. One more time. My gut says Ossoff pulls it off. Well, I, I guess your gut wasn't, wasn't exactly correct, but that, that's okay. I mean, look, Rick, this is a tough business. I'm trying to think how the White House would handle this to say, well, I, I think the, 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 the statement speaks for itself. I think Rick's gut was clearly sp- stating its opinion at that time. And well, was, let's hear it one more time. <laughs> my gut says Ossoff pulls it off. So, so you didn't say pull what off? I mean, I guess, right. right. There's uh, a lot of things to pull you know. and, and push, and there, the, I can confirm there's lots of pushing and pulling that goes on every day. Look, I, th- and of course, I predicted the Republicans would hang on to the seat, but look, it's, it's I, a... Did you? Uh, it's an well, interesting... Um, you know, it was, it was a... It was a Look, as, as the president tweeted, uh, you know, he's now won all the special elections. And look, the, and yeah, this is this is an undeniable takeaway of this first five months or so is that the president is undefeated in the ballot box in these big elections. And for all the talk of the backlash against President Trump, we're not seeing it. It's just not it's not it's not happening. And if it doesn't happen in Georgia, where you have this district that's already predisposed to not like him and and, and all the money that poured into there, if the Democrats can't, can't pull that off, it's raising questions about where they can pull it off. And it it has them twisting in knots right now because they see the evidence of a, of a president that that is spiraling and his approval ratings are low and they can't take advantage of it. They can't do anything about it. So more centrist Democrats or moderate Democrats take the lesson that the party needs to talk about jobs, needs to get back to, uh, you know, talking about issues that affect working Americans, stop being obsessed with scandal and Trump. 
and, 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 and to basically tack towards the middle. And then, of course, the Bernie Sanders progressive wing says that the problem with the party is they're not uh, contrasting, uh, that the contrasts are not bright and stark enough. But the interesting thing about these four special elections, to be fair, all on Republican turf. These were all Republican seats. But you had two candidates that effectively uh, tried that middle path, and you had two candidates that effectively tried the Bernie Sanders path, and none of them won. Democrats agree that they are off target. They don't know where to aim, though. That's the problem, is that you're getting conflicting evidence even out of these four races. The only through line is that President Trump still prevails, and Trumpism still has an undeniable appeal. And that doesn't mean the House couldn't be in play and won't be in play next year, but it does mean that Democrats need to find a message that works because it is not not enough to just be in opposition. The resistance by itself is not going to fuel uh, any kind of political comeback, and he is a political phenomena, and he's out there campaigning in Iowa all over again like it never happened uh, and and enjoying this as a victory lap. So, Rick, just between us and our our listeners, uh, what do you think? How many seats to the Democrats pick up in the midterms, assuming they pick up seats. I, I, I'll revise and amend this a million times. I mean, look, they're they're going to be they're going to be in the neighborhood. I, I will say this: they're going to be in a situation next year where you can say the House is in play. You can't say that now. Honestly, you can't. I mean, the Democrats will say that. They'll try to spin that. We'll talk to a guest in a few minutes that has a skepticism about the leadership team right now. You can't say that right now, but they'll be back to that position at some point in, in 2018, at least with it within within range. So let's get back to the to the the other real headline here today, which is the uh, the tapes or the recordings uh, or non recordings or whatever they were. It was forty one days ago, Rick, that the president of the United States suggested in a tweet, of course, uh, that there were recordings of his conversations with James Comey. It was almost came, almost came across as a threat, like you know, Comey better hope there are no tapes of our conversations, and. You know, he kind of was asked about it several times uh, in the intervening 41 days. You may remember I kind of asked him about uh, about all of this in in the in the Rose Garden. It was almost an interview. We <laughs> went back and yeah, forth yeah, five a, times. A, yeah, a back and forth. This is uh, well. Let's just let's play that. Let's go back to that. And you seem to be hinting that there are recordings of those conversations. I'm not hinting anything. I'll tell you about it over a very short period of time. What is that? Okay. Okay. Do you have a question here? When, when, when will you tell us about the recording? Over a fairly short period of time. Are there tapes, sir? Oh, you're going to be very disappointed when you hear the answer. Don't worry. Is it true, John? Were oh, oh. you disappointed? Oh, okay, so we, uh, over a short period of time, we heard the answer. We're, we're a little disappointed, Rick. I was kind of imagining, <laughs> I was kind of imagining the cables, uh, you know, live, uh, live feed of the Dramatic tapes as they were, as they were, as they were uh, put out. But... Uh, but it does raise a question, so he just kind of quietly says, never mind. Uh, the, well, actually, he doesn't say there are no tapes. They right. say that he made no recordings and is aware of no recordings. And has he, no recordings uh, in his possession. It sounded uh, like a lawyer but, wrote but, that but part. But he implies yeah. who the hell knows what those intelligence right, agencies right. are up to and whoever else. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, why, 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 why did this go on as long as it did? I think that you can make an argument. Correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I think that you can make an argument that we now have a special counsel because President Trump suggested he had tapes. Because if you remember James Comey's testimony, he said that when he said you know, uh, when he saw the president tweeting that there might be tapes, that's what prompted him to send his memos to his uh, law professor friend to leak to the New York Times. Uh, that led to a series of events that uh, 
uh, that led to the appointment of a of a of a special counsel. Yeah, one 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 begets the the next and begets the next. I I, I think. This is emblematic of a president who doesn't think very down the, very far down the road with these things. He's thinking in the immediate term, what is the message I'm going to deliver? And in this case, he thought he had a brushback pitch against James Comey, uh, this suggestion out there that there, that there could be tapes. And then he kind of toyed with it for a while. And then he puts the White House in this, in this impossible position of trying to explain. I'm, it's remarkable that it took this long for it to come out. I don't think anyone really believed at the time that there were tapes. Uh, I mean, Congress got involved. You, right. had, you had congressional committees... Uh, in a bipartisan fashion, writing to the White House, demanding an answer about whether or not there are tapes and demanding that if there are tapes, that they be turned over to Congress. This went on and on and on. So I asked, we had a White House briefing today. It's one of these off-camera deals. But today they decided to allow us to use the audio. There's strange things going on must love there, podcasts. But, uh, yes, exactly. This was basically a, a briefing for the podcast. Uh, so here's what I asked uh, White House spokesperson uh, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders about. What was the president doing with this? I mean, he let it go on for 41 days, as, as Holly referred to. He, he, he that, that, that tweet 41 days ago seemed to be, you know, a very kind of ominous message to Comey, you better hope there are no tapes. And he was asked repeatedly during the intervening weeks whether or not the tapes existed. You were asked many times. Sean was asked. What, wh- why, why the game? Why, wh- what, was he, what was he doing? Uh, I don't know there was a game. Again, he's answered the question. He gave a timeline and the frame that which he would, and he did that. He said by the end of this week, and he's done that. Do you have a sense for what what was behind the original suggestion from him 41 days ago that there may be tapes? Uh, Look, I think it was uh, pretty clear in that original statement that he hoped for his sake, uh, and that was, I think, the very intention, and he's laid out his position on whether or not he personally was involved in that. Uh, in his suite today, I'm not sure it was that clear. Yeah, no. Well, we still, we still don't know if uh, if there is a tape. I guess yeah, not definitively. Uh, maybe maybe Rick was taping. But this is this is the kind of presidential behavior that drives his allies nuts because they say, "Look, you have an agenda out there. If you push that agenda, you can move things along, and you put it before voters. People will support that." Why take everyone on this wild loop that just makes things worse for himself, spending these 40-plus days talking about something that doesn't exist, threatening the former FBI director, inviting an independent counsel into the mix? For what? What did they get out of it? Well, they do dominate the news today on this, and uh, it does, uh, to, to a certain extent, overshadow the other major political story in Washington today, and that is the what seems to me anyway, Rick, uh, you, you're, you follow this stuff. A incredibly rocky rollout of the Republican health care plan in the Senate. Yes, it is an unhealthy start to health care. <laughs> it, I mean, it, it raises the question to my mind. I, it, Mitch McConnell knows what he's doing. I, I have immense respect for his mind as a strategist, uh, as a legislator. He knows the process. He knows the, the personalities, knows the people. So he set this deadline. <laughs> Of next week, right before the Fourth of July recess, to have a vote, the Senate would have its its stand on on health care, uh, and yet he puts forward a bill after the secretive process, which was blasted by all sides. He puts forward a bill that immediately has too many Republicans saying no to it. It does not have the votes. It cannot get the votes under any kind of its current structure unless someone just flips. So is is McConnell planning to strong arm people? Does he have a, a, a chess move down the road where he knows that he's going to give in some concessions and get the conservatives back on board without losing the moderates somehow? Or, and this is not an, not an impossible possibility, 
He just wants to be done with it. He wants it in the rearview mirror one way or the other so they can get on to other things, tax reform, uh, the, the budget, uh, keeping the government open later this summer and into the fall. And he realizes that health care is just going to linger out there until he rips off the Band-Aid. And he had suggested that this vote was going to come before the 4th of July recess, win or lose. We hear things like that with some regularity. The last time we heard it was President Trump saying that, uh, that the House should vote win or lose. And of course, they ended up not voting at the time he had suggested and then voting much later when it would actually pass. So we'll see uh, where they actually go with this. But my read of McConnell is that his priority is passing a big tax cut, or as they'll call it, tax reform. But it's, we're really talking about a tax, tax cut. cut. Sure. And, uh, you know, you need to get you need to get past this. So my, my sense is that he wants to just just go on. I mean, look, the, the health care could easily without any problem dominate the rest of the year. Right. Right. And, and it would because it would be the story of Republicans not keeping their promise and Democrats tr- trotting out rightfully a lot of examples of people that would be worse off under the under the any kind of reform, any kind of new bill. Uh, I, I think he wants it done within the first half of the year. Uh, yeah. And, and, and w- w- don't, don't mistake this either, John. I have no doubt that he wants to repeal and replace Obamacare and would replace it with this. Yes. I don't think, I'm not downing that, but I think he also knows the math. And 52 votes is not a lot of margin for error. You have a handful of moderates, a larger number of conservatives. And how do you keep them all on board for something, much less something that can then pass the House? I think he knows this just it, it's probably not going to happen. So you just well, got to make taxes. That you can get some Democrats. So, well, and, and yeah, exactly. You can pick off some Democrats, and you know, if Republicans can't stand for a tax cut together, then what yeah. could they stand for? Even even repealing Obamacare it would seem difficult by that standard. That's the theory of the case, and it, and it looks like the likeliest one at, at this point. In some weird world, does the White House, would they prefer that we, we focus on the, the lack of tapes versus the lack of possibility on health care or the real-world impact of this health care bill that's being unveiled? Who knows how if they're all... I, I kind of think that gives too much credit to the powers that are involved in this. I mean, the president tweeted something, uh, and he put it out there. They had their deadline. I'm not sure that it's all connected. It just adds up to a kind of a, kind of a mess. And, and I want to get to your uh, discussion uh, with, with Congressman Ryan... Um, not not Paul Ryan, by the way. Right, um, right. The yes, Youngstown yes, Tim Ryan. Yes, yeah, yes. Tim Ryan, uh, Democrat uh, from 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 the uh, the great state of Ohio. But uh, but before we do that, the, the other issue that was out there, the president did go to Iowa. Uh, his first return since becoming president to uh, uh, to the state that uh, you know they kind of got him on his way. Uh, he didn't win uh, in the Iowa caucuses, but he sure won in the general election. And he seemed to have a real affection for the state. And he was more than an hour talking. But there was a proposal that was made. Uh, and I just wanted to touch on this before, before we get to Congressman Ryan. Um, we haven't heard much about the wall uh, since, uh, since Congress uh, declined to offer any funding in the last appropriations bill. Another fight on that coming this fall. Um, but we heard a twist on, on the wall. And I, and I just, uh, well, let's, just, let's just play what the president said. And then I want to hear what you think of it. We're thinking about building the wall as a solar wall. So it creates energy and pays for itself. Pretty good imagination, right? Good. My idea. Yeah. So, um, you know, and, and, and apparently the, the, the president had talked about this in private uh, previously, talked about 40 to 60 feet solar panels on this wall. He mentioned what the other thing he said last night in, uh, in Iowa was that this could reduce the amount that Mexico would have to pay. So I'm sure the Mexicans would appreciate that. 
Or would Mexicans uh, have to pay the sun in some way because that's where the energy is coming be, in from? I, we'll have to we'll have to get a would subchapter. Would that be breaking a promise if he has the if it's paid for with solar power instead as opposed of, to the uh, Mexicans? Mexicans? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure you got to hold it hold it to that. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. an interesting uh, it's an interesting idea. Uh, the interesting thing is it's actually uh, the president took ownership of the idea. Axios had reported earlier this year that the president had floated this idea in a meeting with senators, Republican senators, and that he had said that they could go out and talk about it, but they had to give him credit that it was his idea. <laughs> um, but, you know, there was actually a proposal uh, that came in by a, a, a group. A, a, you know, they're, they're taking, like, like, basically, you know, contract proposals for building a wall, and, and, and the solar wall's already been proposed. I, you're suggesting maybe it wasn't an original idea that popped into his head? Uh, he is a builder, it, though. I, he is... Not a big alternative energy guy. Yeah, how does this fit in with Paris? Does this bring us back a couple of shows to a, to another another topic? I, you know, the... the I, the wall. So what do you think, the solar solar panel wall, Rick? I mean, I, I I will say that that's as likely as as a wall, the wall itself to, to happen. Right. That's <laughs> a, as likely as the, if you're going to have it, why not? Uh, this is out there. I mean, this is just this is uh, this is the the latest idea that pops into his head via another channel, perhaps. Uh, but it seems like it's been in his head for a while. It's, it's popping around, bouncing around out, uh, publicly. But. I, I you know I I I applaud the ambition and ingenuity of whoever thought about this in the, in the first place. If you're going to have this wall, you might as well have it bask in the sun. Uh, we're, we haven't heard much about the wall, as you mentioned. The wall is not happening. Congress has kind of shunted this to the side because the, the wall just isn't really a practical consideration. Uh, but when you had the president back in, in campaign mode, it, it felt like a throwback. And I, I feel like he thrives on that energy. And he loves that the energy. give and take. And he, the, the, the energy also of so to speak, of, uh, of, of a new idea that, that gives you a little bit of real-time feedback. That was the calling card in the campaign. I wonder if we see him out more. It sounded a little bit like an Onion headline, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, why I mean, not? It's one of those things that's just so crazy that it's actually genius and beyond you know, our powers to kind of... We'll broadcast live from the solar panels, powered by the solar panels, a couple of years. All right, well, bring us, bring us to our guest. So this is uh, Congressman Tim Ryan. Uh, he challenged Nancy Pelosi uh, late last year for leadership and uh, let's talk about doing the same all over again. And we're pleased to be joined here on Powerhouse Politics by Congressman Tim Ryan, Democrat of Ohio from the Youngstown, Akron part of the state. And I want to start with some news here. Uh, Politico reporting that uh, there'll be a meeting uh, today, Thursday, uh, involving you and a couple of other folks who have been pretty vocal about uh, about the need for new leadership in the in the Democratic Party, about possible efforts to to oust Democratic leader Pelosi. What can you tell us about the meeting, and what are you hoping to get out of this effort? You know, I'm not sure. I got invited to go to the meeting, and you know, I'm all, always uh, open for a, a conversation. And you know, I, I don't have any real ambition at, uh, at this point. Uh, you know, to to do anything. I'm here to to serve the caucus. I ran last time. I obviously stated my case, and uh, you know, I mean, we'll see what happens. I, however, the caucus thinks I can be helpful. I'll be helpful, but. Uh, I got invited to, you know, I don't know, share my opinions, which I think are pr- pretty clear and have been since November of what I think of the current circumstances that are going on with the House Democratic Caucus. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, uh, being, you know, 0-4 against Trump and Trump candidates is uh, disconcerting to a lot of us and, you know, makes us kind of uh, a little bit leery as we 
go into the 2018 cycle uh, with more races. So I think that's going to be on everybody's mind as well. So I, I, I was struck by a quote uh, in in uh, in the papers today from you. I think it was the New York Times where you said that our brand right now as Democrats is worse than Trump's. Worse than Trump's. Talk about that because I, I you look at the polling and and Trump's got an approval rating in the 30s uh, and uh, it's quite a bit worse in in other in some parts of the country. Some better in others. But you really think the Democratic Party is in a, in a worse spot than Donald Trump? I think in some instances, our our generic brand, uh, positives and negatives, are right around uh, Trump levels. And in some areas of the country, they're worse than Trump. And unfortunately, if we're going to win the House back, we are going to have to run in districts where they're in the South, they're in the uh, industrial Midwest and or out West, like the Montana race. And, and we've got to figure out how to win in those areas. And, I, you know, I don't say this with any joy. I mean, I just want our colleagues to know that, that you know, what we're fighting about here and the, the talk about Russia that overwhelms the discussion uh, today and, and what's happened in Washington is not connecting to people who are worried about whether or not they're going to get their mortgage paid or they're going to get their pension or what their energy bills look like or how they're going to take care of a sick family member. I mean, it's just disconnected from what normal people and average people are going through. And if we don't recognize that, I mean, when, when Trump is that negative and his negatives are so bad, and yet these Republican candidates are still winning, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not here to get a second place trophy. I'm not here for a moral victory. Y- you got to win and you got to figure out how to do it. And, and we're just not quite, figuring out how to how to crack the code on some of these things but why does why did why does who is the, in charge of the uh, of the caucus matter in that context you've got the, the democratic leader why does nancy pelosi harmful in your view to that cause of winning back a majority and finding a new message well i'm not saying it can't be done it can be done i'm just saying that i think it does provide a, a good solid impediment to uh, us potentially getting there and you know the Republicans have spent a lot of money uh, damaging her over the last, you know, 10, 11 years, really muddying her up and making her a very polarized figure in, in our politics today. That's that's reality. I mean, there's a reason they're still running these ads. You know, if you don't think that's true, then why are they running these ads and why are they winning races where they're running these ads? And why do Republicans grab us Democrats and say, please don't make a change with House leadership? You know, we like things just the way they are. Why were they hanging, uh, you know, support Pelosi sign out of their headquarters in November during the election? There's a reason for it. And and, and so I, it's not personal I, against, you know, Leader Pelosi, it's just reality. And, and our caucus, you know, had an opportunity in November to make a decision. And I'm not saying I'm the be all end all. I'm just saying make them spend a couple hundred million dollars damaging somebody else that they can tie to our candidates, but at least make them spend the money. So, uh, as you know, Leader Pelosi was asked about this earlier today. Take a listen to this, and I want to get uh, your reaction. We always have this discussion one is one, two is a couple, three is a few. Some, some. Uh, but I feel very confident in the support that I have in my caucus. No, I, my timing is not about them. Is she right that her timing is not about you as rank and file members? 
Well, I don't know. I mean, I you know, you're you're hearing a lot of grumblings, but I don't know what level it's at. I mean, that's again the decision the caucus has to make, and I I say that because you know I went through this where there was a lot of grumblings uh, in November. A lot of people thought we needed to change course. No one else was running, so I put my hat in the ring to offer an alternative, and we got a third of the votes, which I thought was pretty good. In the fact, in the course of a couple weeks. Now, what that number is now for for somebody else who would may want to do it or if her support has eroded, I have no idea. But the caucus has to make a decision one way or the other, I think, is is if we're going to go into 2018 with the current leadership that we have uh, or are we going to try to make a change? And if people are willing to do that publicly, to make that change, to try to improve our chances in, in 2018. The caucus has to make that decision. And that means that every individual member has to say, you know, it's not about us. I mean, yeah, it's great to be in the majority, but it's about all of the things that we would want to accomplish, all of the marginalized groups in the country right now who need some level of representation. Uh, when we're in the minority, we can't do that. And, you, you know, it's like, we want to extend health care and provide it for more people. Republicans are trying to take it away. We're trying to make investments in the country. Republicans are making cuts. You know, we want to protect these marginalized groups, uh, and the Republicans are cutting investments uh, in policies that would favor them. But if you can't get elected, you can't govern. It's that simple. And so we've got to make a decision. What what increases our chances of getting back in the majority? And I, I'm not trying to push it off on the caucus, but clearly I stated my case in November, and uh, you know, majority of the caucus needs to feel the same. Do you view this primarily as uh, as generational or demographic, geographical? A lot of people make the point after the election is that there's a, a coastal versus middle of the country divide. You're from Youngstown, Nancy Pelosi's from San Francisco, Chuck Schumer's from Brooklyn. Is that the Democrats' problem, or is it is it more generational and, and kind of spiritual about the, what the direction of the party needs to be? You know, I think it's a little bit of both, um, or all of those. You know, I, I definitely think that. The party has become coastal. There's no doubt about it. Two-thirds of our caucus is on the water, either the East Coast or the West Coast. And, you know, that leaves large swaths of the South and the Midwest that are underrepresented in our caucus. And that's a problem. We don't have those ambassadors to Tennessee, to Mississippi, to Alabama. When I first, you know, got here and we took the majority in 06 and then got some more seats in 08, I mean, we had, I think, three members in Mississippi and two or three members in Alabama and four or five or maybe even six members in Tennessee. We had, I remember, three down in southern Indiana. I mean, we had... Remember the Blue Dogs, sure, yeah. Yeah, we had, I think we had, you know, maybe 40 or 50 Blue Dogs at that point. Now we, you know, have, I don't even know if we have 10 at this point. And and so um, being a coastal party, and, and it's about perception, too. You know, we're perceived as being liberal in a, in a, the, that's got a negative connotation and uh, out of touch. And I think part of it is because we haven't been talking about these real direct economic issues that people are talking about. And it's, and it's Russia in, in a lot of ways. I think we get, over, we get angry with Trump and we let that overwhelm our uh, ability to talk about a, a positive economic message that would move these families forward. And so they hear us 
talking about how bad Donald Trump is, and that's exactly what we did during the campaign uh, for president. And we're, we're doing the same thing. And so people are sitting watching TV in the Midwest and in the South, and they're like, these guys still aren't getting it. They're, 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 they're obsessed with Donald Trump. And I get it. He gets people so fired up that, that that's, you know, it's easy to do. He's very good at that. Um, but we've got to be better at and more focused with what, what we're for. And, and in part, it's generational, too. I mean, you look at the Republicans, and it's, you know, it's, it's Paul Ryan and the Young Guns and, and the, this new group of uh, new faces that, that I think, you know, people like to see in politics. Young, young candidates and young leaders have always been uh, a major part of American politics, especially in the TV age. And I think that's not different now. And so part of what we need to do is if we, if the caucus chooses to keep the current leadership, I think it's even more important after the last four elections to get, you know, these younger members out there to help change our brand. Congressman, we heard just today from the, the DCCC uh, chairman, Ben Ray Lujan, I'm sure a friend of yours from New Mexico, says the House is in play. He says he's never said that before. We also – Tom Perez was on The View today. He said 50 seats could could flip. Are, are they just wrong on the, on the current math and the current strategy? Uh, is that just wishful thinking on the part of Democrats from where you sit to think that this could be a big sweep next year? I think it's totally possible. You know, I'm not ruling out the possibility of that happening. I mean, Trump is, you know, uh, I think continuing to betray the people who put him in office. Um, he's not got the economy going. He, you know, he, he said he was going to open up steel mills and coal mines and really get people back to work. That's not happening. His budget decimates a lot of investments that would help working class people. And obviously the health care bill is throwing people off of health care when he said he was going to expand Medicare, Medicaid, and make it more affordable uh, for people and accessible to people. And he's doing the complete opposite. And he hasn't really even gotten anything passed yet, but the, the House bill certainly does that. And it sounds like the Senate bill isn't that far off. So presenting that to the American people in contrast with what he said during the campaign and what they've done, you know, I still think we have an opportunity to do that. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I come out of the, like athletics. It's like you, you get yourself in the absolute best position to win. And, and, you know, to me, that means addressing the issue we have with this national brand and figuring out how to do creative things with our, with our campaigns that are going to, you know, take the energy that's on the ground now, which is really significant and, and, and exciting, and try to channel that into uh, elections. You know, like with the OSOF race, you know, we're not going to have 20, 25 million to spend in races like that. Right. You know, we're not going to have that kind of money. So if you're not going to win it when you're spending 25 million bucks and you've, you've rallied the entire country uh, around it, you know, it, it gets hard to say, okay, how are we going to put 40 or 50 of these seats in play when we don't have $25 million for each of these uh, races? Finally, Congressman, I, I, in a shout out to our uh, podcast brethren, Dan Harris, over at 10% Happier. I know you've talked extensively <laughs> about uh, uh, are, are you meditating more in the age of Trump? We're almost six months in now. Is it, does it change any of your mindfulness techniques uh, being uh, in this position at this moment? Yeah, it's, uh, it's almost, uh, you know, every uh, quarter hour, half hour, you got to like <laughs> check in and, 
and uh, take some deep breaths. But yeah, Dan's great, and I loved his book, and I love uh, all the work he's been doing. But I, I tell you, not not as a joke. I mean, it people are really stressed out now. I think we're watching a very high level of anxiety, and I don't try not to bring it up, but I I just have noticed more and more people using the word. You know, everybody's getting stressed out. There's uh, there's too much anxiety. You know, we're all we're all basically, you know, when you're president of the United States, your your kind of mindset, I guess, um, is projected out into the the public, and that's what you do. You know, if President Kennedy's calm during the Cuban Cuban Missile Crisis, you know, we feel better about things. Uh, whether it's Reagan or whoever, you know, we, you kind of take on the president's almost a reflection of the of the country and it works both ways. And I think we have really gotten into the Donald Trump drama uh, and we're all living it every single day and it's getting very stressful for people. So when guys like, you know, Dan or some of these other CEOs or athletes are talking about, you know, how some of these contemplative practices could be very helpful and keeping our stress levels down and keeping our perspective on things, I think it's really important. And that's kind of what I mentioned a a few minutes ago about, you know, you can have anger and you can get mad at Donald Trump and that anger should then make us aware of something else that's happening and we should then refocus. OK, I'm mad. What's the best thing I could do with the anger that I have right now? Uh, let's let it go and focus on talking to working class people about, you know, that and let them know that I'm thinking about them or that we're thinking about them and their issues, that I'm not so overwhelmed with my personal anger to Donald Trump that I've forgotten you. And I think it's important and a great practice that uh, Dan Harris is one of the, the great leaders in the country about letting people know on how to do that and stay a little bit more focused and aware of what's going on. I agree. Agree on that. Our Congressman Tim Ryan, appreciate you being here on Powerhouse Politics. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. All right, that does it for this week's episode of Powerhouse Politics. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify. Leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing. And, of course, click back next time.